Amen. Amen. Well, hey, let me just say it again. I know we've said it many times, but happy Easter to you. It is always a treat. It always is such a joy to worship together on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we're just so glad that you're here this morning. If we have never met, uh, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here, and just so glad that you're here and worshiping with us this morning. And uh, if you haven't been able to tell by now, we are excited that the grave is empty. Amen? And uh, it is such a joy to be able to uh, worship in this way and to do this uh, together. And what we want to do now is we want to turn our attention to God's Word. Um, And this is what we do each and every Sunday here at City on a Hill. We open up God's Word, we hear from it, and it uh, teaches us and instructs us. And so I just want to invite you um, to grab a Bible. If you brought one with you, you can open up to um, the book of Hebrews. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that home with you. That's a little Easter gift uh, for you this morning. Um, but Hebrews, uh, if you're not familiar with where that is, um, that table of contents at the beginning is super, super helpful. And one of the things that we say around here is there's no shame in going to that table of contents. If somebody uh, you know, near you uh, sort of snickers or makes fun of you for doing that, you just raise your hand. One of our ushers will come and we'll just escort that person out, okay? So there is no shame shame in using that table of contents this morning. And uh, we are in Hebrews, not typically maybe the passage that you were expecting this morning, but you're going to see how this completes the story that we are in uh, this morning. Uh, as we do that, as we're kind of getting our way there, uh, I just want to share this with you. Recently, you know, I came across this article and it referenced this particular claim. This is like somewhat dated. This is a while back, but there was some claim that was made that the bones of Jesus were discovered. Now, ultimately, it proved they, there wasn't any way to, to conclusively prove that or, or say that, but it was kind of this, created this interesting discussion. You know, if they were able, if people were able to find and conclusively prove that the bones of Jesus were present, right, that would mean that the tomb, uh, maybe it was empty because uh, something else happened, but Jesus did not raise from the dead as we have just spent the last uh, bit singing about and declaring. Uh, but the part that kind of stood out to me in this article was it referenced this, the response of a particular pastor. And I just want to kind of put this, this quote up there. This is what one pastor said in response to, um, you know, what would you say if the bones of Jesus were discovered? Um, it says this, uh, if the bones of Jesus were to be discovered, it would be a big finding. Uh, it would cause us to adjust our understanding of Christianity, yes. But ultimately, the truth and power of Christianity would remain undisturbed. We would still have all of Jesus' teaching, we would have all of his stories, and we would have his wonderful example of love for the outcast. And even though Easter wouldn't be about the physical resurrection of Jesus, we would go on celebrating the example and the testimony of this great man of God who lives in our hearts and who inspires us to be kind to others. Even if the tomb wasn't empty, our hearts would still be full. Church, can I just say in no uncertain terms that this is the biggest pile of garbage that I have ever seen, okay? Like if I'm reading this and you were getting uncomfortable and you're like, does Pastor Dave agree with what he's reading right now? Some of you, I think we're nervous for just a second. But if you know me, hopefully you know that there is no way that we are going to agree with this. See, listen, this is like the Apostle Paul wrestled with this. He said, if the tomb is not empty, right, if Christ is not risen, then our faith, our preaching, like what we're doing here this morning is in vain, It's in vain. There is no point to it. We might as well pack up and go home. If the tomb is still full, 
then we have no reason to celebrate and rejoice. But here is the reality, church, is that the tomb is empty. Christ did raise from the grave, and there is ample proof that that happened. And we're not going to get into that today. If you want to have a discussion about that, man, I would love to have coffee, and I would love to talk to you about all of the ways that it is proved that Jesus rose from the grave. There's so many reasons that we can be confident of that this morning. But if we could, can we just kind of move forward, whether you're still kind of a skeptic or not, can we just move forward with the assumption that the grave is empty and can we talk about the result of what that then means? So even if you're still on the fence, if the tomb is empty, what does that mean for us today? And the title of the sermon this morning is Washed by the Blood. That is what we're talking about this morning. And this has been this theme that we've been kind of looking at this weekend. And many of you were here on Friday night as we worshiped and we remembered the blood of Jesus on Good Friday. And what I want to do is just kind of catch us up because it helps to set the stage of what happened and what, uh, where we're entering in uh, this morning. Because you see, we believe that Jesus is alive and we believe that that changes everything, but why? Why? And what we've been doing this weekend is we've been telling the story with three colors there's this thing that's called the wordless book. Uh, our kids on Friday night went home with bracelets that had the colors of the gospel. In its simplest term, it has three colors. I didn't know this, but it was actually Charles Spurgeon uh, who I think first, as far as I can tell, he first kind of got this, which Spurgeon, by the way, is a bit of a hero of mine. Um, he's called like kind of the Prince of Preachers. He's just an incredible pastor. He, he's, he's been gone for a long time, okay, so he's not around today. But, um, you know, I love Spurgeon stories. I love what happens. Like every time I check my mic in the morning, um, I, you know, do this little, I'm like, mic check, check, check. You know, I try and check it. Like, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter if we check it. It still doesn't work awesome, but but, you know, whatever. Um, Spurgeon was uh, doing a sound check one time when he was preaching, and, um, and he uh, quoted this verse, and this guy that was working maintenance heard it, was so convicted by the Holy Spirit, he went home and he received Jesus as his Savior from a sound check, okay? This is what, this is what like, Spurgeon is doing. Spurgeon's, like, preaching the gospel as he's, like, checking the acoustics of the, he wasn't using a mic, but the acoustics of the place that he was in. I love another Spurgeon story. Uh, one time, uh, Spurgeon was, um, he was going to sleep, and it had been a full week of ministry. He hadn't been able to finish his sermon, and um, so he went to sleep. Well, in the middle of the night, his wife tells the story that he started talking, and he was preaching. And so she got a piece of paper, and she, he, he like, she, she started writing down what he was preaching in his sleep. Woke up the next morning, he looked at it, he's like, this is really good. He preached that sermon in the morning, Okay. I have since tried this. There's been times that it's like my sermon's not quite to the spot I'd like it to. I go to bed on Saturday night and I leave a little pad of paper and a pen and I tell my wife, I say, listen, babe, if anything good comes out tonight, can you please write it down? All right? Yet to have that happen, okay? That has not happened yet. I didn't wake up with the sermon. But this is Spurgeon. And Spurgeon, I just share all that to just say he had some really great ways God really worked and used, but he, he had this really simple illustration that he used, the three colors of the gospel being black, red, and white. And again, if you weren't here Friday night, then, then we're kind of jumping in midstream. But black, it speaks to the state that we are all in this morning. I don't know if you know this, but we all walked in this morning. We are all part of this marred and broken world that we live in. You know, I don't know if I have to tell you, but our world is broken, right? I think sometimes we try and like put our head under a rock and, and try and convince ourselves that it's not but you don't have to watch the news or scroll very far on your feeds to see that there is problems everywhere. 
right? How often are we seeing shootings? How often are we seeing acts of injustice? How often are we seeing one country warring against another? How many times can we give personal testimony to the way that we've been mistreated, that we've been shown injustice, that others have hurt us? See, this is a result of sin. And for a long, long time, people, people understood and they knew this. They knew that the world was broken. See, it's only a recent phenomenon that we've tried to convince ourselves that people are generally good. I don't know. I'm thinking that might be going away. I'm not sure. I hope it does because it's a huge barrier to, to hearing what Jesus has for you this morning. If you walked in thinking you are fine and everything's great and, and, and the world is as it should be, I just want to tell you, you are, I don't know if you're seeing everything clearly because this world is broken and there's a reason. It's called sin. Sin entered into our world and broke everything. And so God in his love didn't cast out or, or separate himself from mankind, yet he began this active mission. I mean, it, like Genesis chapter three is, is where sin enters the, the, the story and the rest of it is God trying to get back in right relationship with mankind. That's what the Bible is. If you wanna know what it is, it's about Jesus trying to go on a rescue mission for the creatures that he created, man and woman, for you. And so to do this, he set up this sacrificial system. And we talked all about this on Friday night, but there was this holy of holies and it's the place that God's presence was. It's where he came near and he dwelt near his people. He had this special people that he called. They were known as the Jews or or Israelites. They were the the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and here in this holy of holies, it was separated by a veil. But once a year, the priest would go in and he would offer the blood of a bull and he would offer the blood of a goat and he would offer it on behalf of himself and then on behalf of the people. And God counted that as forgiveness, the payment for the shortcoming before them. And this went on for centuries and generations and year after year, day of atonement. Yom Kippur would come, the high priest would go in until one day Jesus came on the scene. He was born in a special way. He was born to a special family. He lived a special life. He had a special purpose. He was the son of God. Again, we're making a lot of assumptions this morning, but let's just kind of operate with this for a while if you can. See, this is why Jesus came. He came ultimately to die. And that's what we looked at on Good Friday. We looked at, uh, we had this visual, and you're seeing the kind of finished or completed piece of it, but, but this cross was just bare wood. And then on Friday night, we put all of our sin on this as in a visual way with these black stickers that just covered the thing. And then we washed as red paint was covered over, and that's the red. It's the blood of Jesus which covers over our sin. What we're going to see this morning is that's not the end of it. It doesn't just get covered by his blood, but it gets washed white by his blood. And we're going to understand that and look at that this morning. So let's just kind of jump into our passage, and we'll kind of pick it up from here if we can. Uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 10, beginning in verse 19. We'll put it on the screen so you can follow along as well. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Since then, we have a great high priest over the house of God. The author here, the writer here, is, is, is speaking to the confidence that we have because of what Christ has accomplished. And so here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Um, this is what we're, we're, we're being taught here is that because Jesus is alive, we now have access to God. We have access to God. 
And that's what he's saying, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. As I said, the high priest once a year was the one who was allowed to go into that holy of holies. That veil was 60 feet long, 33 feet wide, four inches thick. I said this on on Friday, but it took 300 priests to maneuver it and to hang it. It had these kingly colors. It was blue and it was purple and it was stitched with these cherubim and these fine linens. An interesting fact is in order to achieve that color with that size of cloth, it would have taken 12,000 muric snails yielding their dye to try and create that type of color. Why all of this excess? Why all of this incredible detail given? It's because this was the place where the king dwelt. That mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant that was in there was where, where, where God himself would seat. And so once a year, the priest would come in, he would offer this, and this was, again, the, not the physical seat of God, but it was where he would manifest or make himself known. He would draw near to people. But again, only the priest, only in a certain way, and only once a year could go into this place. And what we saw on Friday night is that it says in Mark, it records for us that when Jesus died, that veil was torn open from top to bottom. It was ripped open. And now there's access that's been given. And that's what the author is talking about here. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. What we're learning here is that when Jesus' flesh was torn at the same time, that entrance into the presence of God was being torn open. And so here is the hope that we have this morning, church, is this, is that because Jesus is alive, we now have access to God, access that has never been available before since sin entered into the world. Now, again, you might not think that that's a big deal, or you might kind of brush that off and be like, man, I don't, I don't understand what that is. But listen, if, if God is who he says he is, if there is a God and if he really is your maker and your creator, if he really is a heavenly father that loves you, if he has a plan that works out in your favor and for your good and for his glory, then, then this is the best news there is. I'm telling you, there's a way into a relationship with your creator, with your maker, with your heavenly father, and it's been given to us by Jesus. He made a way. He goes on in verse 21, he says this, and since we have a great high priest who is over the house of God. You can write this down, because Jesus is alive, we have an advocate before God. What the priest does, the priest had a very specific job, but the priest would go in and he would represent the people to God. And he was flawed, right? We already talked about this, but before he went in, he had to kind of get himself all purified. He had to make a sacrifice just for him. And there was all of these things that he would do. He was wearing these special uh, garments, Um, What he did is he would actually, um, he had these 12 jewels that he would wear on his garment. And what did they represent? They represented the 12 tribes of the people of Israel. And so what he was doing, it was like as he was going in and entering, he's carrying these 12 special gems with him, representing the people of Israel. He would then go before God, offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people. He was a representative And what this is saying here is now, that's been, we've gotten a huge upgrade. 
right? Since we have a great high priest who is over the house of God, that high priest changed out, that high priest got old and died, that high priest, there was a new high priest that would kind of come in. Now what we have is no longer an earthly high priest. We now have Jesus, the son of God, as our high priest representing us before God. We have an advocate. And what is he advocating for? What's he saying? He's saying, listen, as he goes before God the Father, wearing us on his heart, wearing us on his garments. He is bringing us before the Father. He's saying, listen, not God, do not judge them by their works or what they have done, but judge them on my life, my death, my perfection. He's advocating for us and he's doing it in an incredible way. Can we put that verse back up there? I wanna just kind of point out one thing. Uh, Verse 21, it says, uh, since we have a great high priest. I mean, it's so important that we have an accurate copy of scripture because you can change those two letters in have to a D and it becomes had. You know, since we had a great high priest over the house of God. Listen, because Jesus is alive, we don't had a great high priest. That was intentional poor grammar, okay? Just, just so you know. We don't had a great high priest. We have a great high priest, He is advocating on our behalf even now as we are here worshiping him. Isn't that such good news? Because Jesus is alive, we have an advocate. He continues on, verse 22. This is kind of our response to it then. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You can write this down. Because Jesus is alive, we can be washed white. Because Jesus is alive, we can be washed white. Do you know that every religion, every major religion has a process by which you achieve this perfection or uh, the state of righteousness or um, that you're counted worthy? There's all these kind of rules, regulations, and things that you do. For the Jewish people, again, the place that that Jesus came into, he himself was a Jew. What they would do is is they would... uh, come to uh, worship, they would have to purify themselves, right? There were so many things that would defile them. If they were to touch a dead animal, if they were to eat something or touch something that was unclean, if they were to interact with a Gentile, I mean, there's, there's certain things that if they were to do to go into the house of a Gentile, they would have to first purify themselves before they could go into the temple. Now, I hope that you all, I think you did, you all look very sharp this morning. I think you all took a shower this morning. You got ready but your getting ready was not necessarily this spiritual purification, this physical purification that you were trying to do. But this is what the, what the Jewish people would have had to do. They would have had to bathe themselves in a spiritual way to prepare themselves so that they were clean to be able to go to the temple and to be able to make a sacrifice. And still to this day, I mean, there is evidence, there's these things called mikvahs that are, are scattered across Israel. And there's tons of them around the temple. Why? Because you wanted it as close as you could because you needed to purify yourself before going in. I took a picture of it. I, um, I'm going to continue to show you a bunch of pictures in the months to come. I was just in Israel a couple weeks ago. But here's a picture of a mikvah. It's just, uh, it's kind of like a, um, I mean, there's usually stairs kind of going down and, and there's a place that water is either uh, kind of brought in and taken out or, or they would use buckets and kind of change out the water. But, but this picture is, is from the community at Qumran, 
This is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. The, the, the people at Qumran were, were obsessed with mikvahs. I mean, they had mikvahs everywhere. They had water everywhere because they were all about this purification and washing themselves white. And so seven, 10 times a day, they would go into the mikvah and they would wash themselves to kind of purify themselves. And they, this was this process that they had. In addition to, like this is again an example of a great one that's kind of in good shape in Qumran, but, but there are still to this day mikvahs around the temple where they would wash themselves before going into the temple. Let's look back at the passage, verse 22. Let me read it again. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Two things going on with Jesus' death. One is that heart was made clean by the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And if God was willing to accept the blood of bulls and goats, how much more would he accept the blood of his own son? See, our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. We, are, we can be washed white by the blood of Jesus. But more than that, our bodies are washed with the pure water. We don't have to go through this ritual of kind of cleansing ourselves every time. That's what baptism represents. It represents the washing away of sins, the, the purification that comes through the blood of Jesus. Church, I hope that this is a, a picture for you. We wanted this up here and kind of on full display during our entire service this morning that you would understand what the blood of Jesus does. It washes white. The sin, the separation, let's name it, the pride, the anger, the selfishness, the lack of care, the lack of concern, the greed, the foolishness, the lust. I mean, all these things mar our sinful hearts, and yet what the blood of Jesus is able to do is it is able to wash it, as Scripture says, as white as snow. This is what Jesus is doing by his death and through his resurrection. And so it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Verse 23, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Church, because Jesus is alive, we have a hope that is unshakable. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Listen, I know that's, that, that, that one, of the, uh, one of the difficulties with the gospel message is it seems almost too good to be true, right? Like, who am I? I know what I've done. I know the things that I've, ways that I've kind of fallen short. Why would God care about me? But that is the amazing thing about the gospel is that it is not because of your merit. It's not because of your good works. It's not because of your exuberant faith, whatever, however strong that might be. There is no physical way by which you can enter into the holy place, that you can restore that broken relationship with God, except for through what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ. And that is a hope that we can hold on to with confidence. See, isn't that so good? I don't know about you, but I come up short all the time, right? I come up short all the time. There are so many ways that, that I, I want to do well, right? One of my things, I've heard this before, like my tips or tricks is like, you know, so many times it's like, I ask myself, what would a really cool dad do, right? Or what would a really great dad do in certain situations? And I try and think about that, and then I come up with that, and then I try and do that. Why do I have to ask myself that? 
Because there's a lot of times I'm not a great dad, right? I'm not a cool dad. I'm not the one who's doing it all the time. I don't have it. But I don't need to because Jesus did. That's what it's saying here is that we have this confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised it is faithful. Because Jesus is who he says he is, because Jesus lives that sinless life, we don't have to. I said every other religion has a way of achieving that perfection, achieving that righteousness, achieving that, that, that state of, of acceptance before a God or um, you know, in a system of, of rules or regulations, whatever it is. Christianity, the faith in Jesus is the only one that, that is not on our own our own merit, our own working, but it's based on the perfect life of another. It's based on the perfect life of Jesus. And so you and I, listen, we're not gonna make it. We're not gonna cut it, and that's okay. One of the things that we like to say around here from time to time is it's okay to not be okay. I think we have this we live in this Instagram sort of world, right, where everything looks picture perfect and we have to have it together, right? Even today, I mean, you probably had plans this morning. I don't know what your morning looked like, especially if you had kids, right? You wanted to do the Easter basket or have the egg hunt later. You got that perfect dinner that you're trying to do. And already, like it's not even, what time is it? It's 9.30 and you've probably already figured out all the ways, right, that it's not quite going how you hoped it would. But it's okay to not be okay because Jesus is perfect, And we have this hope that is unshakable. It's not based on our merit or our good works. And so we see this, verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the day as you, or all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our final truth this morning is this, because Jesus is alive, we have a reason to worship and we have a reason to rejoice. I gotta admit, like if you come in here and you're not, you're still kind of skeptic of who this Jesus guy is, as we sing and everyone around you is so excited and these cheers, it's like this, this isn't coming from some manufactured place. This is spilling out of a heart that has been changed and saved and renewed and there is life that has been given. And so that's what we're doing here. We're considering how we would encourage one another. We call this discipleship. We want to build one another up in the church. We want to point each other toward love and good works, to love in the same way that we've been shown love, to to show good works in the same way that God has shown good works to us. We don't do that to achieve anything. We do that because it's been achieved for us. But then it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, right? So we meet here weekly can I make a little Easter joke? Some of you, you don't know, but we, we are here every single week, right? It's not just Easter. It's not just Christmas. Like, we're here all the time. We do this every single week. It's amazing. Next Sunday, 8.30, 10.15, we're gonna be just as excited, right? The tomb's still gonna be empty. Like, we're still gonna be here, and we're still gonna be rejoicing. Why? Because we wanna encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. Listen, if you don't know me, that I'm, I'm like pretty fun-loving. Like we can, we, but I also will, I like to poke, right? In a really good way. That's what a good pastor does, right? A good pastor pokes and points and prods toward that. That's what I'm trying to do. Why? Because we need to be reminded. Our hearts don't know. Listen, if you, I don't know what voices are speaking into your life, but the voices around us say all the time that this world is all that there is, right? That this world is, this is it. 
We live this life, we do the best we can, and we hope for the best of what's next. I'm just telling you, if that's the hope that you're holding on to this morning, it's a shakable hope. There's something so much stronger, so much greater that's found in Jesus Christ. You see, the day is coming when we will know him in full. We will see him in his glory. And it says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's the thing is that some of those knees will bow willingly, others will bow with gritted teeth. You see, we will see God in his glory someday. And so the the message that I have for you this morning is one of hope, it's one of forgiveness, it's one of love. This is why Jesus came. He came and he lived a life of perfection. He lived a life that according to the law was above reproach. He lived a life that you and I were meant to live yet were not able And so we have this ability this morning to put our hope and our trust in him because that day is coming. I want to paint a picture of what this day will look like. There's a scene that's from Revelation chapter 7, and and there's this, this crowd that's coming before God. We're going to put it on the screen. You can just kind of follow along on the screen, but it says this, Revelation 7, beginning in verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne in the Lamb of God, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Can we just pause there? What an amazing picture, right? Every tribe, every tongue, every language. God sees our color. He sees our cultural differences. He hears the language, and to him it is beautiful. He created all of that. And so he's gathering people to himself from every corner of our planet, There are believers in every place across this planet and they are worshiping this God and someday he's gathering them to himself. They're clothed in white robes and they're waving palm branches. Where do we see this? Just a week ago, right? We were here in this place. We were talking about the triumphal entry. Well, this time it's very different. This time they know and they understand who this king is and they're waving their branches in praise of him. Verse 10, crying out with a loud voice. What are they saying? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the Lamb. That's Jesus. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. And all the multitude saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever, amen. It continues and says, then one of the elders addressed me, that's John, the writer, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come from? If you ever come across this in kind of prophetic uh, language. This is like a tactic that, that um, I think God uses, that these, uh, this kind of elder uses here. He's like, hey, this is the question you should be asking. Who are these? And then he's like, oh yeah, that's a good question. Sir, you know, why don't you tell me? You know, so it's kind of like, you know, this is the question you should be asking right now. Hey, wh- who are these? You tell me. And these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. What an amazing picture. Washed in the blood of the lamb, it becomes white. Therefore, they are able to stand before the throne and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the day that we see approaching. This is the day that Jesus came to save and to redeem and to make new, to wash white so that we would be welcomed in in this way, that we would have someone over us as a shelter, giving us all the things that we need, wiping away all of the pain and the agony and the confusion, right? Every tear wiped away from their eyes. Church, this is the picture of the day that is approaching. And so it says, let's not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see that day approaching. So I just want to say this. Church, this is why we get so ramped up and excited at Easter. Because Jesus is alive, everything changes. There is hope in our risen Savior. And some of you, you maybe know this intellectually, but you've never taken the step to receive this in your heart. James says that even the demons know and believe. They know who Jesus is. They believe who he is, but they have not followed him as Lord. So I would just like to invite you this morning. It it would be, um, I mentioned Spurgeon earlier. I mean, Spurgeon never missed an opportunity to kind of point to uh, to the gospel. So let me kind of follow that cue and just say, listen, if you are here this morning and you have never received this free gift of forgiveness that washes white the blood of Jesus, then today is a day that you could respond in belief. So you've got to choose to respond to what Christ has done. And we want to give you the chance to do that today. You know, I want to ask you a question that's the most important decision that you've ever made. Is do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that Jesus is alive? If you don't, and if you're not going to get there, then okay. Right? This is never going to make sense to you. But if you do believe, if you do believe Jesus is who he says he is, if you believe that he rose from the grave, then everything changes and that your life then needs to be impacted by that. We're not just talking about an intellectual belief. What, it, what he's talking about, what scripture says is to acknowledge that you are a sinner, right? We talked about the black. Acknowledge that your heart has been made black by sin. To believe that Jesus died on your behalf, right? That it was his blood which was shed for you, and then confessing him as Lord and Savior in doing so that your blackened heart washed white by the blood of Jesus is now raised to new life in him. This is believing that he and he alone has the power to forgive your sin based on Jesus and the work, his work on the cross. You know, at Easter 2023 could be a very special moment for some of you today. You could respond to this work of Jesus in your life for the very first time. And I would just encourage you to mark it by some words. These words are not the thing that saves, but this is the way of kind of giving feet to what your heart is doing right now. I promise you, God wants you to hear, to be here this morning. He wants you to hear these words. He wants you to respond with these words. It doesn't have to be these words, but you can use this, these words and you can do it in this way. I believe you died for me. I receive you right now as my savior. I receive this free gift of salvation. I surrender right now to you as Lord. 
From this point forward, I follow you, whatever that means. You have the ability to respond in faith right now in this Jesus for the very first time. Now, these are friends of mine that just walked out the door. I just wanted you to know they weren't walking out because they don't want to respond to these words, okay? I know some of you are like, man, he just like really ticked someone off. First the baby, then these guys get up and walk, right? So like, that's not what's going on here. They're really good friends of mine. They're going to be so embarrassed that I mentioned them, but um, that's, they had to go. They told me ahead of time, and so that's, that's what was happening there. But some of you, maybe you watch them, and you're like, man, I want to get out of here. Like, I want to go from here. Who, how did I get in this place here? I want to make light because you know what? Sometimes this is, we don't know. We're not afforded. We don't know how many more days we're afforded. Some of you, maybe you've come before, maybe not to this Easter, but to a Easter. You've heard this before and you've never taken that step of receiving that gift of life from Jesus. Would today be the day? Would this be the year? I would just encourage you not to let another year pass but to respond in faith. Jesus, you are who you say you are. You died for me. And I receive today your free gift of life. Let's pray. With our heads bowed, I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to respond with your own prayer before I pray. Some of you, you know this gift of life. And so maybe your prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving, of acknowledgement of, of sometimes the, the way that we take for granted just how special this is. For the other of you, maybe this is the, maybe this is the prayer that you're gonna pray to receive Jesus and his living hope for your life for the very first time. Again, there's not some specific formula, but there is a way of expressing it in your heart. Jesus, you are who you say you are. You've done what you said you did, and I receive it in my life now. I receive your forgiveness for my sin. God, we thank you so much for the free gift of life that you offer. God, that you made a way when there was no other way. God, you tore open that veil. You made it possible for us to know you, to be in relationship with you. God, to receive forgiveness. We have no business being before you in this way except for the blood of Jesus which covers over us, which watches us white. Lord, we give you praise this morning because when you look upon us, you no longer see our sinful hearts, but God, you see the perfection of your son. God, thank you for counting his righteousness on behalf of our righteousness. God, thank you that that tomb is empty that Jesus, you are alive and you are advocating for us even now. God, we give you praise for who you are. We worship you in the light of your majesty. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.